Uh, with that, let's pray. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6, the church, church in Sardis. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, uh, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather today uh, to focus on you, uh, to worship collectively as, as a fellowship. Um, Lord, we ask that as we uh, study these short six verses about this dead church in Sardis, that you would encourage us, that you would guide us, Lord, that you would help us as a church uh, to abide uh, in you and that our life in you would not dwindle. Uh, Father, we pray uh, for our church here in Valley Center that you would use us uh, to be a light in our community and surrounding areas and have an impact uh, to the outermost part of the world. Uh, I am grateful, Lord, for what you've done here uh, in the last 11 years that I've been here. We look forward to the future, and, and Lord, we ask that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us as individuals as we uh, look to your word uh, concerning this dead church in Sardis. Uh, we ask that you would be glorified uh, through our time now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis writes, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Father, we do praise you. We thank you for this day, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, so today's the fifth of the seven churches. Uh, To remind ourselves, the bottom left of the screen is Patmos, where uh, the Apostle John is writing from. He was exiled there working at a marble quarry. Um, It was a very rough life. Uh, He sees this revelation of Jesus Christ, and he writes to us the things in which he saw. And so this, uh, the first section of Revelation deals with the letters to these churches. So we've covered Ephesus. This is a good pop quiz for me to see if I could remember. Ephesus was the loveless church. They had all of their doctrine right. They were doing good things, but they had departed. They had abandoned their first love of Jesus. Then we worked our way north to Smyrna. Smyrna, there was no criticism of them. This was the persecuted church, and Christ had nothing but encouragement to offer them. Uh, Very uh, humbling letter uh, to remember what we have as American Christians. Uh, We we are not persecuted like the majority of Christians around the world. And so it was a really neat letter. Uh, Pergamum. Okay, this is, oh, this was the, the compromising church. And so they were confronted over how they had compromised. Uh, Compromise led to tolerance in Thyatira. 
the Lord really let them have it. Uh, some have speculated that between Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis, that there was a, 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 a it, it shows sort of like the movement. You have compromise. Compromise leads to tolerance, and then tolerance leads to a dead church. And so today, we're talking about the dead church in Sardis. Um, this particular letter hits a nerve with me in a good way. It, 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 is, it may be one of my favorite letters so far. Um, and the reason is, is because dead and dying churches are something that I'm actually quite passionate about. Um, our church, this church, was dead 12 to 15 years ago. Uh, we have probably, I think it's a 71-year history in Valley Center. By the time I came 11 years ago, I'd come because the church was about to close its doors down, and they were trying to figure out uh, what they were to do. As I look around today, it's, it's like really encouraging. There's a bunch of people that are missing today. Um, and many of you might not know the history of this church. This isn't a plug for the pastor's luncheon, but, you know, because I don't have time to cover everything. Um, statistically, it's hard to find the numbers, but the, the most accepted number seems to be that 4,000 churches close their doors in the United States every year. That's 11 churches a day. Um, and our church was super, super close. And um, I, I found a picture. I didn't make sure I get the date right. So this was Easter of, so it was March 29th of 2008, a little over 10 years ago. This is Easter. Can you click to the next slide? This is our church. I don't know what you guys, when you see this picture, what you feel, I feel excitement. <laughs> I got to see how many, I'm not going to count up here. Uh, let me bring this here. So there may be 20 people at church on Sunday, 10 years ago. Um, you don't see all of them here because obviously Anna was taking the picture. I can see Evie, her white little hair like up in front of the window. I can see my head over there. You might not see this book, but that's Grace. That's baby Gracie right there. <clears throat> We'd been here almost, I mean, it wasn't quite a year. I'll have to ask Anna to do the math. But we got here in like, when did we get here? May of 2007. And so this is like coming up on a year. And so there are probably 20 people on this Sunday. And, and the thing what you don't realize is our church had exploded by this point, so much so that Anna needed to take a picture. And so she stood in the back to take a picture of the awesome growth because we'd more than doubled in size. Like 20 people is more than doubling what we started with. And as I look at this picture, I'm just reminded of some of the people. So this is Cora Roach. She's passed away. There's the hugger. Um, Clara Roberts, who was from Hawaii, and she's like, I'm the hugger. Very warm lady. She's with the Lord now. We see Lloyd Beth Swaddell. She's with the Lord now. We see Evie. I'm getting choked up. She's with the Lord now. And left of her is George Farrington, and he's with the Lord now. And um, this was an amazing Sunday. It was huge. I mean, God was doing great things. Um, without, without these people, the dead people... <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be here today. Like this church would not exist if it wasn't for the radical thought of, of like that lady in the front left, Evie, and not in the picture. I don't know where they are, but, but I, certainly they were here, Alberto and Irma. Um, and so when I look at this picture, it just like 
floods my heart with like what God has done. Um, I see in this picture what I see Pete and Dolores and Carrie, who's connected. I think it's your niece. Where's Pete and Dolores? Is the niece? Carrie's your niece? Cousin. Um, she's up in Oregon now. But Pete and Dolores, like they came early on and they like were early adopters. Like they, they, uh, you know, I love Pete and Dolores. And, um, but it's like there are a lot of people that, you know, now I'm going to get the song stuck, stuck in my head, you know, uh, take a chance on me. You know, the, uh, Melanie will be able to tell me which song that is, but I don't know exactly which one it is. <laughs> but it's like they totally took a chance on us. Like, I don't know that I would show up at a church with 10 people and stick around. Like, I, I, mean, I'll, I mean, I did come and I stuck around. Um, but there were these early people that came and they looked at the church and they're like, there's not much here, but we believe that God is doing something here. And so we're going to stay. And, and these people, they, they helped us grow in Alberta. Like, you know, so Alberto's back in the hospital, for those of you that know Alberto. And um, he, he's going to be okay. He, he looked, I mean, okay, relatively speaking. He's, he should be home today. Last night I went and just sat with him at the hospital and talked with him. And every time he talked to Al- Alberto, he's just like, looks at me last night. And he's like, brother, I remember. There were three of us that, that we stood firm. That everybody wanted to just turn the keys over to somebody and just turn the church over and let it die. And he's like, I stood there with, I forget the it was George, and I forget who the third guy was. He's like, no, but we fought. And he's like, brother, every Sunday I come to church, and I just want to cry because I've seen what God has done. And it's beautiful to see what these, like the old people, like I tell all my church planning buddies, like when I came here, I'm like, well, we have land, but I have eight 80-year-olds to, to start this church with, which is going to be interesting. There's a book out called the that Tom Rainier, Rainer wrote it, who is a, a, a huge, uh, he like surveys churches over different issues. And he recently, in the last couple of years, wrote a book called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And so he goes through and he analyzed and interviewed a bunch of uh, dead churches that um, just to kind of analyze what, how they get there, what was keeping them from, from living and life. And he wrote this, and he said, members of the dying church really didn't want growth unless that growth met their preferences and allowed them to remain comfortable. And this is where I'm going to try to share a story without getting choked up, but that little old lady, Evie Farrington, with the white hair who kind of bleeds into the, the window up there, I'll never forget early on, you know, so I was the guy, I was brought in, we were going to bring us back to life, and all these guys that try to restart churches, they go too fast, and they change the culture, and so back then, we had leadership meetings, and it was just like, anybody that wanted to come could come. If you had a heartbeat, you were on, you could be on the leadership team, and so she was there. Thankfully, she was on the other side of the table, and so I, um, I, I remember at this very first meeting saying, I have some ideas, but we're going to go really, really slow. And at that point, she interrupted me, and I'm so glad she couldn't reach me. But she grabbed me with her eyes and, like, grabbed me by the neck. And she was from New Jersey, so she had that disposition about her. No offense to anybody from New Jersey. But she grabbed me. Not phys- like I, I mean, it felt like she grabbed me, and she said, Brother, we're dying. This community out here needs Christ. And we want to see what he does before we go. And so they didn't care about, like, 
being uncomfortable. They didn't care if they wanted change, and they, they didn't know how to go about it. And so when I look at this church of Sardis, this dead church, I can't help but to think about the story of this church, and every church runs the risk of dying. And so as we look at this story or this letter, we read to the angel of the church in Sardis. Now, I pointed out to you on the map where Sardis was. It was 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. It's one of the oldest cities in the, uh, the, the, the Asian province, which is kind of, this is modern-day Turkey, but it was one of the oldest cities. It, its dating historically goes back to 1200 B.C., um, it, I'm trying to figure out what to share first. It was a city that was sort of built on a cliff, like, like a huge cliff. Um, I keep thinking of the Princess Bride, you know, how they're trying to attack the fortress, like climbing the scaling the cliff. And it was basically that situation. So it was really, really safe. There was only one point of access, but, but predominantly it was this cliff. cliff. And it, 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 no matter how many people tried to attack it, it was really, it was, it was, it was super defensible. It kind of reminds me of Afghanistan. Like many people have gone to war in Afghanistan unsuccessfully because of the cliffs. Like it, the Russians can't really win there. We can't really win there. It, it's, you, you have a geographical, no, no, not geographical. Yeah, geographical, topographical sort of uh, advantage uh, by the landscape. Um, it was virtually destroyed in AD 17 by an earthquake. But the, strate- the, the value of the city was so important that the emperor, uh, Tiberius, he, he gave it new life by rebuilding it. So he, um, he basically told the city, you don't have to pay taxes. Use the taxes to rebuild your city, and he effectively rebuilt the city. Um, it had this cliff, like I mentioned, that was filled with, with graves. So uh, I got to find here. It was famous for its cemetery of a thousand hills, is what they called it, and um, <clears throat> its temple was to Sybil. And at the time of writing, though, its glory days were in its rearview mirror, and and this the the irony of the church that it follows the culture that it was in. The, the culture in the community was dying, and the church was dead, according to Christ. But it had this huge reputation. I'd mentioned that it, was, that it was almost an impenetrable city, but they had two attacks in their history where they were defeated. And they were defeated because they, they kind of rested on their laurels. They, they thought that they, nobody could attack them and win, and so they weren't really worried about it, and twice they were conquered. Um, and so here's a city that is very comfortable with its position, and within this city, there's a church that was very uh, comfortable with its reputation and what it had done. And so God is coming to this church and is giving them a very uncomfortable diagnosis of their situation. So he says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars say, says this. So now we go back to that image in Revelation 1.16. Now we see the, the seven stars. That's the easy part, that uh, the stars were symbolic of the seven churches that he was to write. Uh, we, and we have this description that's not really from, um, from Revelation 1. Uh, we, we had 
In Revelation 1, there's the picture of, of this, this image of Christ who was, was standing amongst seven lampstands, and then he had the stars in his right hand. And so we see the, the stars still in his right hand, but now we, we see he who has, he's not holding, it's like he who has the seven spirits of God. There's a lot of speculation on this, and instead of you know, r- rattling off something that I'm kind of half kind of morphing, I'm going to read to you from Aiken in Christ-centered exposition. He says this concerning uh, the seven spirits. The seven spirits of God is the complete or perfect Holy Spirit, the Spirit in all his fullness. I think there is an allusion to Isaiah 11, 2 through 5, and Zechariah 4, 1 through 6. It emphasizes his omnipresence, wisdom, and life-giving power. The Savior has life, but Sardis is dead. Sometimes we have no idea of our true spiritual condition. We must walk about in a fog of deception. But Christ discerns how things really are. His perfect spirit sees everything. He sees, he knows, he cares. Through his life-giving spirit, he has the power to breathe new life, resurrection life into the church. Church revitalization will always be, begin in heaven with the glorified Christ who longs to raise to new life a church where rigor mortis has set in. So I thought that was really good. Um, so when it talks about this, this, this one who has the seven spirits of God, seven is all throughout Revelation. It's this number of completion. And it seems to describe the, 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 the triunity of God that here is Jesus who has the Holy Spirit within and it's him that gives life. And so from there he says, I know your deeds. This church was doing all sorts of things. Uh, works don't always equate to spiritual life. He says, I know you have a name. This is the only good thing that's mentioned. They had a good reputation. So at some point in their life, they had life. And Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you have a, a name, a good reputation, that you are alive, but you are dead. This is like the ultimate oxymoron, that you're alive but dead. How can this be? You know, we've all, we've all heard of the oxymorons. You know, the ones that always come to mind is uh, military intelligence, Postal Service. What are what are some of the other ones? Like there's these uh, lightweight lightweight tank, you know, for for uh, combat. Um, but how how like how do you have a church that's alive but dead? It's and and so the the image is that it looks like it's alive on the outside. Uh, w- one guy suggested this in a book called Final Call, describing a a dead church. This is the picture he brings describing a church that's really dead. Maybe it means their sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. It's a congregation of corpses with undertakers for ushers, embalmers for elders, and morticians for ministers. Their pastor graduated from a theological cemetery. We often joke about oh, I, may, may, I think it was last week I accidentally slipped on my lips. Um, their choir director is a local coroner. They sing, embalmed at Gilead, an amazing grave, how sweet the ground. You might describe their worship as stiff. At the rapture, they'll be the first churches to to be taken up because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. They drive to church in one long line with their headlights on. 
Whenever someone joins their membership, the church office immediately notifies the next of kin. Each week they put an ad in the obituaries. The church van is black, is a black hearse, and the church sign is a tombstone. Their motto is, many are cold and few are frozen. It's super funny. Like, isn't it? But unfortunately, finding a dead church is not that obvious. Many of the things that happen in a dead church look externally the same. They, they have Sunday worship. They have a teaching. They have Bible studies. They sing songs. And so it's harder to diagnose from the outside, but if you've ever been in one, you know exactly what it is. Some of you may have wounds from attending a dead church. It's a a sad, sorrowful thing when a church is dead and they're not forced to do anything because they can continue sort of surviving. It's kind of like because they have the golden calf in their, their bank account, they're able to do all of the things that they've always done, but they're really just on life support. It's like they've been declared dead by God, but they're able to sort of put out the false image that they're alive. And so we move into verse 2. We'll see five commandments between 2 and 3. Uh, the... The commandments that you'll see, if you are one who might marks up your Bible, uh, you'll see wake up, you'll see strengthen what remains, you'll see remember what you have received and heard, you'll see keep it and repent. Uh, the, the tone of voice here, to me, is like a, you know, having the, going to the hospital last night, it's, you're, you have to go kind of past the emergency room. And I'm not a doctor, but I've watched a lot of uh, I've watched a lot of stuff on TV, you know. So I've seen like the old you know ER television show where you see like the doctors in the ER. Like I love those shows, like not 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 the drama ones, but like the 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 what do you call it? Like real TV, like uh, you know reality. reality TV. Thanks, Debbie. That's like where they're in there. And and I, what I've noticed when you're in a doctor in that sort of situation, like I heard one guy joke. But he's never heard a doctor when he shows up saying, that shirt looks really nice on you. Like, I really like your outfit, you know? You get in this situation, the doctor's like, get his clothes off, get him down, get him intubated, get an IV line, start barking out. There's no, like, uh, bedside manner. Like, I remember for me, the one was with Anne, like, the last, like, situation like this is when Titus was born, and... She had the placental abruption, and we were, we were kind of going down there by the ambulance. I'm like, you know, I remember as they were carting her off, like they were getting ready to cart her off, but at the time, I didn't realize what was going on. I'm like, man, that guy's kind of being a jerk. Like, he should be sort of like gentler and nicer. And, and what's he doing? Well, in hindsight, I realized that he was preparing her for like emergency surgery. And the lady's like asking me for my insurance card, and I think I handed her my zoo membership. And she's like, sir, this isn't going to work. <laughs> But there's like when, when life and death is on the line, you don't want your doctor to be complimenting your clothes and how nice those whatever looks on you, you know? You want them to save your life and you want them to respond quickly. And so here, the words of Jesus, there's like urgency, first wake up. This is a term that says like, be alert, be watchful. Um, I, 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 
I miss the days of when I was an instructor and we would do the 50-meter underwater swim. It was one of the times we were really clear, cleared hot to like really hit a student. And so a student, like if they showed any signs of coming out of the water like they were about to pass out, we were allowed to just, wake up, kid, you know. So a lot of times the kids got hit, but they were like totally fine. It was like, oh, he's passing out. We just try to wake him up. But that's the image. Wake up. Like, get alert. The, the guy on watch, like, I don't know how people do the graveyard shift. Like, the few times I've worked a graveyard shift, I could, like, barely, like, something about that time between 3 and 5 a.m., it's like, no matter what you do, I just couldn't stay awake. And so I was so thankful that all the times I worked Hell Week that, that never did we have an emergency during that window when I was like, what are you doing? Uh, all the kids alive. Okay, everybody's good. <laughs> Let's carry on. And this is the idea, wake up, church. You're asleep at the wheel. You're falling asleep, and you're supposed to be watchful. You're supposed to be mindful of the things that God is doing. He says, strengthen what remains. And this is beauty. Within this dead church, within this church that barely has any sort of life, there's always a remnant in what God is doing. There seems to be always a couple. And so when I look at this picture and I think back to that day, I'll never forget the first Sunday. Well, no, it wasn't the first Sunday. The first Sunday, we just drove around the building and we got yelled at by somebody. And then we left. And then the first Sunday we came up here, it was like, uh, hey, come and we, we need help. Will you preach for us? And so I came up and I preached. And it was sort of like this dance. Like, is this something I want to get involved with? And am I somebody that they wanted the church was tiny. Like I, like I see that picture. I mean, because this is huge. So I don't want your minds to be like, so it was tiny. Like tiny, tiny, tiny. Like there were 10 chairs set up right here. And they had the pulpit up on here. And there were 10 little chairs. And so I came and I, you know, it didn't matter if there were like 10 people or 10,000 people. You know, or I tell myself, like I, I preached with the same zeal. And then as we left, I remember, I'll never forget Anna and I talking. She's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, that, like, I don't know if I cut out for this. Like I, but it was like, but did you talk to any of those ladies? Yeah. They had the love of Christ. And I remember both Anna are like, she's like, well, I talked to this lady, Lloyd Beth. And I'm like, I talked to this lady, Ruth Wright. And I don't know if we can do this, but man, I truly believe that they love Jesus. And when I say, strengthen the things which remain, I see these two ladies, like the, both, and I might have the name, but it, like the people wrong, not the names wrong. Like I'm not sure who Anna talked to, but we left there going, they sure were, they, they really, I feel that they love the Lord. And so we, we came. And we just sort of by faith came up here and we ministered to those little old people and we loved on them. And, and really the culture, what I love, it was when people say they visit, I've heard it over and over again, like when people like visit and I tend to just like, if you're a visitor, like I, it's, like I wait like two or three months before I like actually get a chance to say hello to you because it seems like people are always sort of like inundated with people. And I hear all the time, like, man, the church is like just really nice and really loving. And, they, um, and I think it was a culture from the, the, these people that are no longer with us that sort of created this culture of love. 
And so when I read this, I, I hate to like sort of read our church into this, but it says, strengthen the things which remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. He says, I'm not done with you. There's life there. There's a heartbeat. Strengthen that life that's there. It's a little ember that's about to go out. Blow on it. Until you get lightheaded. And then once it gets burning bright, you add a little bit more. Then blow on that. Then eventually you get a fire. But he's like, just invest there. I'm not done. It's, it's beautiful. And he says, remember what you have received and what you've heard. Well, what did they have? Well, they had the gospel that Jesus died for them. That he went to the cross to be the substitutionary atonement for their sins, that the wrath of God was placed on him, and he absorbed the weight of that wrath totally and completely, and by faith in him, we have life. The basics of Christianity. Remember that God forgave you. Remember that God says, as I have forgiven you, I want you to forgive others. Remember that there's a whole lost world that I died for, so go love them and be a light to them. Remember the basics. The plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. Live out your faith in Christ. Keep it is the fourth command. And this is the basics of walking with Jesus and newness of life. Read the word, study the word, live it out. The scriptures are the most important thing we have because this is God's revelation to us as a church. And as the word is taught and as we receive it into our hearts and we allow his word to take root in our lives, we're discipled by him and we grow in him. And where every one of these letters ends is he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The author of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Repent. To five of the seven churches in Revelation, he tells them to repent. The death of a church isn't because it's of God. The death of a church is because sin in man's heart. And so he says, get right. Because the church isn't this building. The church is y'all, us, together. The, the believers in Christ, collectively, we make up the church. And if we want to have a healthy, thriving, vibrant church, that means that we need to be walking closely with Jesus. We need to submit ourselves to him and allow him to speak into our lives, allow him to shine light on our sin, allow us uh, to, not to allow us, for, for us to have the disposition where we say, Lord, I was sitting there. I was wrong. I need your help to move forward and to honor with your life with your spirit. Please help me to do this. So after he gives these commands, wake up, strengthen what remains, remember what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. He says, therefore, and somewhere in this, there's a warning, but there's also, it's like a warning that's sort of filled with grace. He says, therefore, if you do not wake up, same word as before, 
I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you, very much like the town of Sardis that thought, we're good. He says, no, wake up. I'm coming like a thief. And this is speaking of judgment. Like I think through all, all of these, the, the thing that I keep hearing from last week with the, uh, the lady that was identified as Jezebel, it's better to settle with God out of court. He's giving us all of the warning that he's filled with mercy, he's filled with grace, he wants us to get right with him, he's provided a way for us to do that in Christ, but we're the barrier. And over and over and over again, he says, get right with me, get right with me. You don't, you don't know, you're not guaranteed tomorrow, you're not guaranteed a week. Don't say, well, in five years when I'm through with whatever, then I'll start living for the Lord. He says, what you have is now, and I want you to live for me and with me now. If you'll turn with me over to 1 John, it's just a, like a book or two before Revelation. And the picture that comes to mind by the same John, he wrote from the same location. He's in the same circumstances. He's the only living apostle. He's pleading for the church to get right with God and to live for God. And in 1 John 2.28, what he writes, he says, Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. The, the, the picture is to the, to the person who's saved, who knows Christ as their Savior, that they're living in a way that they know is wrong, that they know that they're in sin. And the promise is that Christ is going to return. He says in Revelation, like a thief in the night, and all of a sudden that Christ returns, and you're like, uh-oh. You say, caught with your pants down, and I'm like, literally, figuratively, however you like, like, that you're caught in sin, and you, all you can do when you see your Lord that died for you is to just to kind of go in shame. And he says, don't do that. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are little children of God. We are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself as he is pure. And so there's this call to righteousness, to being like our Lord. And as we go back to Revelation, this is exactly what I see John or Christ through John pleading for. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Don't be caught off guard. Live for Jesus today. Verse 4, he says, But I have a few people in Sardis, Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I mentioned there's always this, this remnant. So in the, in the midst of this dead church, there were a few that were alive, that were walking with Christ, that were remaining faithful. 
verse 5, he says, he who overcomes. We're going to see three promises here. He that overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. This is the picture of purity or righteousness. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. So there's assurance that their name will remain in the book of life. And I will confess their name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so there's this promise. Stay true, stay faithful, stay vibrant in your relationship with me. We have the mention of this book of life. I don't know if I want to go there, but towards the end of Revelation... We see that at the end, there's this, this, this great reconciliation of, of all peoples, that, that the dead of all time, we see that they're raised from the sea, they're raised from the land, that all of the people are gathered. And basically, those that names aren't in the book of life, and I don't think this is necessarily like a literal, like that God has a little journal in heaven. I think that this is a, a picture for us so that we can see and understand that God knows all things and he, is, he knows those people who have responded to him by faith and have given their lives to him that are cleansed by his hand. Um, and we're told that those that aren't in the book of life, that they're going to be cast into judgment, eternal judgment. It's interesting that on the book of life, Barclay says this, in ancient times, cities kept a register of their citizens And when a man died, his name was removed from the register. The risen Christ is saying that if we want to remain in the rule of the citizens of heaven, let me start again. The risen Christ is saying that if we wish to remain on the rule of the citizens of God, we must keep our faith flamingly alive, which it seems to be the the drive that Christ is pointing to. But to those who are faithful, their names will remain. It's a promise of hope. And the question is, like, how do we get our names in this book of life? How do we keep them in this book of life? If you'll turn with me over to Reve- not Revelation, Romans chapter 5, I want to deal with, a, as we end here, a sort of a theological doctrine that, that, is, that is important. And so as we read through, we're going to read uh, Romans 5, 6 through 17. I'm not going to comment too much along the way. But there's a lot of things sort of compared and contrasted in this. And what I, what I want you to see is on sort of one side of the ledger is that we see transgression. We see death. We see sin. We see judgment. We see condemnation. We see the wrath of God. And then on the other side of the ledger, we see words like justification, reconciliation, salvation, life, righteousness. And the question is, is how do we move from the left side of the ledger over to the right side? Or for you, that's the right and over to the left. And then we're going to see three key words throughout this section. Gift, free, grace. And so in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, we read, For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. 
But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as, the, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law was in the world, but sin was not imputed, But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned, in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And so when we see this, as we close here, with the, the living church, it's contingent on you, us, individually, having this life relationship that's made available through Christ, that in him we've been reconciled. That means that the, 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 the record books of our sin have been wiped clean, They've been imputed to us by his sacrifice on the cross. And what we have credited to our account is his righteousness. We are given the Holy Spirit and we have life. And Jesus says, stay connected to me. And as you stay connected to me, you'll have life. You'll have the fruit of the Spirit. And this is what we as a church need. With that, let's pray. Uh, Father, I do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the example or, or maybe the lessons found from this dead church. We, we ask, Lord, that you would um, guide us and direct us in all things. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done here at Grace Point Church. We thank you uh, for the work that you are doing. Lord, we ask that you would help us, Lord, as we head into the future, that you would Allow us to honor you with our lives and all that we are. May we abide in you. May your spirit fill this place and help us to be a light unto our community. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.